1: I was born here. And so to get the opportunity to come back here, um, you know, I I would always come back in the summers uh, to visit my grandparents. We moved around a lot because of my dad. Uh, And then going to Ohio State, um, you know, we would, me and my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we would come back for Thanksgivings and um, any chance we got to go see my grandparents and my cousins. So uh, when I got the call and it said 412 across, I was ecstatic. Um, you know, never in my wildest stocks, I would end up thinking I would be a Pittsburgh Steeler.
0: We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited first to welcome my special celebrity co-host, Dr. Charles Simcovich of Simcovich Concussion Institute. Dr. Charles, thanks for stopping by. And I know you're so excited about our guest today, aren't you? Oh yeah,
2: yeah, it's great to have him.
0: Oh, it is so great to have him. And you know, when you think about specifically enough, someone that, I mean, what the I consider one of the best Steelers right now on the current roster and probably is going to be a Steeler Hall of Famer the what he's been able to do so we have all pro star of the Pittsburgh Steelers Cam Hayward if, again three-time first team all pro second team all pro six-time pro bowler and first team all Big 10 Cam thanks for stopping by how are you
1: I'm great how are you guys
0: I'm doing fantastic. We're going to talk about the end, about the honor you had with Lending Hearts, but let's just break down specifically enough. Did you always want to be an NFL player? Was that something growing up you wanted to do?
1: Oh, uh, you know, I think growing up, you have so many different dreams, uh, whether it was the be a NFL player, be an NBA player. I stopped growing, so that went out the window pretty quick. Um, you know, I've always wanted to be in my community, helping back, uh, whether it was uh, being a coach or a teacher. And so um, just because I had great role models, I th- I thought maybe I want to go down that path someday, but um, you know, it was always in the back of my head thinking I could, I could maybe do this um, step into the family business a little bit, but uh, you know, it takes a lot of hard work and uh, I'm blessed to be here today.
0: So let's talk about your late father, Craig Ironhead Hayward, one of my favorite players of all time in pit football. And I had season tickets for pit football, growing up as a kid and, you know, and one player, once he first put that uniform on and played for the university of Pittsburgh, he just couldn't be forgotten. It reminded me so much of Earl Campbell. Mm-hmm. How much did he influence you in your, to get, to get to where you are today? And so, um,
1: you know, so much comes between my mom and my dad. Uh, you know, uh, I, I can attest that, you know, I wasn't always listening to my dad growing up. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to think, how does my dad, a running back, know anything about defensive line play? Boy, was I wrong. Um, and, you know, he now looking back on it, he was a lot more skilled and a lot more thoughtful for what he said. Um, but, you know, as a young young kid, you got to be stubborn sometimes. And so uh, I had to learn the hard way. But, uh, you know, just to see the way he uh, affected the community, um, everybody has a story along with him, um, that's something. Thing that I want to live out in the way I live.
0: And how much were you happy to be drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially when, again, Craig Ironhead Hayward played for Pitt? I mean, that had yeah.
3: been amazing.
1: You know, yeah. I looked at it as not just he played for Pitt. Uh, I was born here. And so to get the opportunity to come back here, um, you know, I, I would always come back in the summers uh, to visit my grandparents. We moved around a lot because of my dad. Uh, And then going to Ohio State, um, you know, we would, me and my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, but we would come back for Thanksgivings and um, any chance we got to go see my grandparents, my cousins. So uh, when I got the call and it said 412 across, I was ecstatic, Um, you know, never in my wildest thoughts, I would end up thinking I would be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, I just didn't know if that was in the fold. Um, And luckily I was there at 31 and uh, the rest is history
0: and understanding the tradition and everything um, let's talk a little bit about your father one more time. And specifically, mm-hmm. again, you were born in Pittsburgh, uh, understanding specifically enough, learning, growing up as a son of an athlete, that's a challenge, right? And it's not the easiest thing in the world, right? You build the relationship that you have to look up to that person to become as great or even greater as an athlete. Cause I've talked about father, son relationships and people I've interviewed on my show And it's, it's difficult because you have to look in that area, but also the travel and all that. How did, how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah. You know, as a kid, uh, one thing I appreciate my dad never did. He never made it me versus him. Um, you know, it was never a competition in that approach. Um, I can say my dad was never my coach, but he was always there. Um, and he was always there for advice, always in my corner. Um, I can count on my hand, uh, like the times that my parents both weren't at any of my games. Um, and so having that and my dad being an athlete as well, you know, their schedules are just hectic, but I always felt like my dad was always there for, um, everything that was big to me. Um, and, you know, I think as I got older in college, uh, I understood his legacy a lot better as I got older. Um, Coach Tressel gave me this quote, or not necessarily a quote, but gave me this uh, reference because Coach Trestle, um, his dad was big in Ohio. And he said, you know, my dad's got a street named after him. I want a highway named after him. And so I kind of took that to myself. I was like, you know, I didn't know I was going to end up in the Steelers, but being back in Pittsburgh, I kind of related that to myself, where it was just like, my dad's created a legacy for him, How can I either expand on it or um, make it my own? And so that's that's been my own my own journey. Um, and, you know, that's something my little brother is going to have to deal with a little bit, too. But um, game on. You should appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate my dad being part of um, the culture in Pittsburgh and being um, everybody having a story along with it. So it allows us to grow this and his, his legacy to live on. All right. And we're going to get
0: to now your help in the community because it really talks about family life. But I'm going to go to Dr. Charles Simcovich. Were you a fan of Craig Ironhead Hayward? Uh, Dr. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, I, I was over the years. And uh, it, it's funny because an in-depth conversation, I've done a lot of work with uh, a family in Texas, Fred Akers, who actually coached Earl Campbell at University of Texas. And, uh, uh, Fred Akers and, and his whole family are fairly active with me in concussion. And uh, we talked at length before uh, at the comparison between Ironhead Hayward and Earl Campbell, how they were very uh, similar running backs. And, and I asked Fred, I said, you know, what's the biggest difference? He said, there's very, very little between the two of them. They were just bulls, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I was a big fan of both of those fellas. And uh, I mean, they made the game exciting and great. Totally. Absolutely. All right. So let's
0: talk about fa- family life and how important family life. And that's why you give back. I think that this is the big thing, Cam, when I'm listening to you, your story about how your family was so involved and how they were so giving to you that you want to give back to the community so much. And it becomes a very, very important part of your life as a professional athlete to be, a, to give. Right.
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh at an early age I got to see um, you know, how to give back. Uh whether it was my dad going to the children's hospital, whether it was my dad when he was in the hospital himself uh dealing with the brain tumor, he was, you know, shining a light and uh, you know, brightening somebody's day there. Um, you know, my dad took every moment to heart where he could either give back or, you know, inspire uh, and then my mom, on the other hand, um, she was always getting us involved in various community events uh, to be well-rounded. Um, and you know, with that, that's kind of set the the tempo for my children, um, and it allowed me to you know be the role model to them, but also show them how to do it so that they can do it one day as well.
0: And that's so important. It's it's building a tradition. And then being drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers is, again, I've talked and spoken to, uh, you know, uh, people in the Steeler organization, the high level to, again, some of the major super Steelers in my career of getting the interview. And they talk the first thing when they get drafted by the Steelers, how community becomes such an important So talk about the Roonies and how they really show how important it is to be a, be a great member of the Pittsburgh Steelers by volunteering in the community.
1: Yeah, I think I was really benefited when I got in, Um, you know, the community relations person at the time was Michelle Rosenthal uh, and she kind of took me under her wing Um, and she just introduced all these different events which players were involved in, whether it was Troy giving back to his hometown or Brett Kiesel being involved with Children's Hospital or um, Aaron Smith uh, doing the light of life and also uh, shedding a light on what was going on with his son who was dealing with leukemia. Um, I got to take part in all these events and it kind of just gave me an outlook of how I could do my own. um, And then, you know, building on that so I, I think I was pretty uh, fortunate. And then now we have another community relations person in Blair Holmes, who's kind of um, she's not taking me under her wing because I, I feel like I'm older now. But, uh, you know, she's helped me along the way. And, uh, you know, when you have great peeler- people throughout the Steelers organization that constantly give back, man, it, it, it's truly special. Um, because it's it's one thing to do it, it's another thing to know how to do it, and um, to hit it twofold like that is pretty special.
0: It totally is. So talk about then wearing another hat, running an organization. Think about you know you were learning the whole thing, doing the volunteer work, volunteering for other buddies, someone's else's foundation, doing these different things, but then doing it on your own. That's that's challenge, man.
1: Well, well, you know, I, I'll be honest. I can't do it on my own. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but know, being, it, being the leader, being the leader you know, of all. Being things. the leader, uh, you know, it, it's it, it's special. Um, the reason I say I can't do it on my own, my mother helps me along me with my foundation. Um, and so, for me, um, I understand I have a full time job and being a, a football player. But uh, when it calls for me to take action, I do. Um, and the one thing I always try to do at any of my events is connect with uh, the people we are serving. Um, It's one thing to just, you know, hand them something, but it's another thing to just hear their stories. Um, So many times these kids or um, these people are unheard and don't get a chance to uh, just have someone talk to them. Um, And you just don't know about those interactions and how far they can go to change someone's life.
0: One thing Dr. Charles does is he sees community as an important part as well. The the foundation type of work you do, right, Dr. Charles?
2: Yeah, yeah, we're busy. We we are getting very active with Lending Hearts, which is uh, Cam just got an award for, and we just uh, are getting uh, wired into a couple military. I do a lot with military, um, and uh, you you know community here at Pittsburgh. It means a lot to Pittsburghers. I, I was listening to Cam. Talk, you know, I, I was real close with the former Steeler Cedric Wilson, and he had the he got he was a free agent came over from San Francisco, and he said the difference between playing football in San Francisco and here is P- Pittsburghers are, are a family and they take ownership, and um and he said in San Francisco he could go out he's nobody knew who he was he said here a lot of people knew who he was he said they weren't shy about giving their comments about how he played either you know <laughs> good or bad <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, and uh he said, but boy, they just uh it, it was like one one family and and very down to earth community. He said it was a it's a it's a mid sized city, but feels small. Uh and uh and everybody acts like they know you. And uh, Pittsburgh's very much that way. Cam, what are your thoughts with what Dr. Charles said about that?
1: And Pittsburgh. He's spot on. Um, you know, when I look back and I I I there's never a dull moment in Pittsburgh and everybody's going to let you know how they, how the Steelers are doing, what they think. Um, But man, we we take being a part of Pittsburgh very special. Um, You know, they care about their community. They care about their city. Um, And so when, you know, I do these events, they're like, Hey, let me know. I want to be a part of it. And so we get so many volunteers uh, just because they care so much about giving back.
0: Totally. So tell us about your foundation, then we're going to talk about the Lending Health Hearts Award.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started the Cam Hayward Foundation um, in 2015, which we eventually called uh, the Hayward House. Um, you know, we we call it the house because we feel like we can serve so many different things, um, whether it's um, Southeastern Brain Tumor Association in honor of my dad. We serve a lot. Um, We also serve underserved kids in Pittsburgh and Atlanta as well through backpack drives. Uh, We have a birthday bash we have every year. Um, And, you know, we have um, food drives as well. Uh, And then uh, on top of that, we get to uh, put on something near and dear to my heart. uh, Craig's Closet um, in honor of my dad, where we collect suits for young men. Um, for job interviews, college interviews, prom, prom, proms and dances, uh, anything you can think of uh, to make a, a young man feel good about himself. Uh, we always like to use the Deion Sanders quote, uh, you look good, you play good. And, you know, you look good, you feel good. And we want to provide that for young men um you know there's dress for success for young women and uh, we've partnered with them as well but we feel like craig's cause is taken off and it's now in over uh, 10 10 high schools in the Pittsburgh community
0: that's fantastic and you seem like you're expanding and as it's grown you said it was not for your mom you couldn't can keep be able to do this it sounds like that's what I'm seeing. Yeah
1: yeah my mom definitely keeps uh the wheels turning um you know it's not only just me being a football player it's me being a dad too so uh you know she's picking up the slack most of the time um but you know i try to make sure when i am involved uh, i'm on top of it and and i'm giving back
0: well the neil haley show is going to definitely even though i'm in dallas now cam i'm going to definitely have to reach out to your mom and want see how i can help the hayward house in any way possible especially with the the whole Pittsburgh relationship and, you know, to get it out there, what you guys are doing is fantastic. And I don't know how you can do it as I've interviewed a lot of NFL athletes that have foundations and they talk about the challenges till they retire to be able to do it. They, it's, it's too much work, you know, Aaron Donald, I've interviewed Aaron and also Aaron's sister does a tremendous job of what he's able to do in his foundation. And she talks about how much if it wasn't for somebody else in it, It's, it's a lot of work. It is a business. And I think, can you explain that in so many ways, because you got to raise money to be able to do all these great events and it has to be run like an an organization or it's going to look poorly on you and look poorly on the community.
1: You know, I, I, you know, my face is all over it. Um, but it takes a village to do it. Um, you know, I've equated it to my career. You know, I can't just take credit for everything that happens in my career. Um, There are people who have helped me achieve this. And that's nothing short to what you do on a foundation on the business side. You need great people that are committed to giving back, um, that understand they're not always going to get the glory, but they'll get to see the glory. And they'll get to see how many people it affects. Um, I can't say enough about the people that helping our organization and help, um, you know, make sure things are organized, make things, make sure things are smooth, uh, getting, um, coming up with great ideas. Cause I can't come up with, I can't say I'm, I'm a, a, you know, a great thinker all the time, but some of these ideas I'm just ecstatic about. And, um, you know, sometimes I just need direction and they provide that. And that allows me to, you know, run forward full speed and give everything I got.
0: All right. So let's talk about the honor that Lending Hearts gave you. How did that make you feel? I saw the amazing pictures. I saw your eyes light up and how happy you were to get this honor. Cause it's, it's again, an award for the work you've done with this foundation and how you've helped the community.
1: You know, I, I feel very hum- humbled by it. Um, you know, sharing with people, my story, um, and being recognized for the work we're doing in the communities is huge. Um, but then the other stories that go along, and you get a guy like Bob Pompiani up there talking, talking and you understand what he's gone through and the warrior he is. Um, I like to think he's the busiest guy in Pittsburgh. He's, yes. our, he's our sportscaster, and then he does everything else on top of that. But, uh, you know, then getting to hear uh, the family story that was honored that night was was pretty special. Um, And so hearing those stories, you almost don't feel worthy of being recognized when you hear those stories and you hear about the mother's instincts and how she rushed to take her her son to uh, get him checked out. And, um, you know, I, I just very I feel very thankful to be recognized around around such a prestigious group.
0: Absolutely being honored again for the reward of uh, the Lending Hearts Friend Award and to have that opportunity and then moving forward. So what is the ultimate goal for the foundation? Where do you want to see it go? Yeah.
1: You know, I think the main things is expand. Um continue to touch more hearts. Um whether it's we're doing uh football camps in the summer or um expanding to more high schools um, with Craig's Closet. Um, the more people we can have an effect on and uh, change th- their outcome of where they were headed. Um, you know, I- I'm looking forward to attacking that and making sure that we can uh, just keep improving. Dr. Charles,
0: any questions for Cam before we finish up? No, I can't think of any. <laughs> just like to always to add things. Is there any summary? Cause Dr. Charles, you've really summarized a lot of uh, what the work Cam does and is, and, and also, oh,
2: you know, it, I've been fortunate over the years to be involved, obviously with professional athletes, uh, from every field and, um, you know, seeing the work they do is just really, uh, it, it's touching and, and, uh, uh, there's so many great athletes that are giving back to their, uh, communities. And, and, and as far as cam and I've done a lot with Charlie batch, um, you know, cam Johnson's another one. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and then speaking about lending hearts the job that the the director vaso palioris does is just oh. phenomenal and she's just extremely humble and down to earth and and uh, to see uh, her going to expand nationally it, it's 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 really a good feeling Totally.
0: yeah cam
1: I, gonna... I would just add one thing i would just say i, I appreciate vaso as well she is um you know i only got to meet her once uh at the event and so getting to interact with her and then explain her story and um you see how intelligent she is but also how driven she is and so uh to be around uh you know community like that that you know is is headstrong and making an impact so big is is truly special
0: what are you seeing with your career cam how many more years do you want to be playing any thoughts on
1: that? I got some more in the tank. I, I don't think I'm retiring anytime soon.
0: Okay, then maybe then you have to come into the ring and I challenge you to a pro wrestling match. <laughs> my background: I'm a former professional wrestler. I'm six foot ten, legitimate, and that's why I call myself the media giant. So whenever I'm in <laughs> Pittsburgh, we're gonna have to have a good photo op. And, and you're six five, six six. How tall are you?
1: Yeah, I'm six five, but you're gonna make me look tiny.
0: <laughs> oh, by the way, I have a picture on my Facebook. You're going to have to see with seven, the tallest player in the NBA, um, uh, Bobin. I was. Uh, oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and he makes me look
2: like a midget. Oh, my gosh. Did you see that <laughs>
0: picture, uh, Dr. Charles, with Bobin?
2: You didn't oh, yeah. That? I saw that. Yeah. No. Well, you saw a picture of my wife and I with Cam, and it yeah. makes me look tiny. And I'm not, I mean, I'm 230 pounds. I'm not small, but I, I look like an infant.
0: Yeah. So that's the, <laughs> that's the funny thing. And that's the cool thing about being in Dallas. You never know who you're going to run into go figure, uh, in different places. So we appreciate it. Cam, best place people can follow you is on Instagram, right? That's where you're really
1: Twitter, Facebook, you name it. But, uh, yeah. Um, and you know, if you want to get involved with, uh, our foundation, go to the Cameron Hayward or you can just look us up on Google. That's, that's a simple way to do it. So, uh, yeah. Thank you guys for so much for having me.
0: I, I'm, I'm honored to have you. And you know what? I never get nervous with an interview. I've interviewed a lot of major celebrities, but because I'm such a huge Steeler fan, oh man, I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's, a, it's a different story. And also talking about your father, it just brings back memories of my family, going my mom and dad. My dad's passed away himself too. And just to, to remember Ironhead and remember some of the exciting moments you've given us as Steelers. You have to have definitely get a Super Bowl ring. I think it's this year. Let's do it. Let's get the Super Bowl. That'll be awesome. Let's get Uh, it. We'll have to have another interview after that. Yes, exactly. Yes,
2: it was a very good draft.
0: Okay, all right. Very good draft. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. All right, guys. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. and We'll be back in just. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm
4: doing amazing. How are you doing, Neil?
0: Fantastic. And our guest today is Charlotte Stewart. We all know her from Little House on the Prairie and also uh, many other things. Charlotte, thanks for stopping by. How are you?
3: I'm just fine. I just got back from a long trip to Illinois, uh, Oklahoma, and Missouri.
0: What did you where, where did you go out there for? Business?
3: Uh, it was a Little House on the Prairie event uh, to meet all the local people in Missouri and Oklahoma and Illinois, and we had a wonderful time.
0: You know, Greg, I'm going to go to Greg for this. and you, you and I, Greg, we remember Little House on the Prairie, sure. but some people, you know, out there that just are living, are growing up with it right now too, Greg. It's crazy yeah. how this, this show can... Tell that story, right? Of of living a simplistic life, right, Greg?
4: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, there's a lot of great things to say about living simply, right? Versus high tech and complex. So it has a lot of pluses to it.
0: So Charlotte, when you got the opportunity to audition for the little house, little house in the prairie, did you know it'd be as successful as you know? Because it was a book series before.
3: No, I didn't. In fact, I didn't even know what Little House on the Prairie was. I had never read the books. I didn't know anything about it. And uh, when, I, when I went in for my audition, it's then I realized it was going to be a Michael Landon pro, you know, project. And I went, oh, my gosh. This is the luckiest thing I've ever fallen <laughs> into. But it, it, uh, I had no idea how popular it was going to be. In fact, it took a few years for us to catch on. Uh, if we went any any place but los angeles where we were shooting we were very popular but you know in our hometown everybody kind of went eh what's that <laughs> but we've been no. we've been on now for 49 years wow
4: that's amazing so you were you were miss beetle right that's
3: that's correct the school teacher
4: yeah and
3: you know i think the reason i was so comfortable with all the children uh, when we were shooting is my sister had seven children, you know, ages, you know, two, four, six, eight, ten, you know, up to teenagers. So I knew how to handle a crowd of children, you know.
4: That's incredible. What What was it like working with the rest of the uh, cast members and the show itself?
3: Well, I had, I had just I had never met Melissa Gilbert or Melissa Sue Anderson or Alison Arngram who played Nellie. But I have to tell you, you know, years later, when we all started going on the road and meeting fans, Nellie and I became a have you know real pals. We traveled together a lot. And um, I just admired them so much because they were always on time. They always knew their lines. They were so professional and yet they stayed children. You know, that was Michael's rule was come on time and know your work and anything goes after that. So, you know, he, he kept that freshness of the child. They weren't, you know, little, child actors they were kids who happened to be on a television show and he really uh, played that very well.
0: Now we think about Michael Landon again and the the amazing talent he was. Charlotte working with him what did you see that was the brilliance of who Michael Landon is?
3: Well he was you know he was very outgoing Uh, he was very easy to get to know but the thing I admired about him the most is he was a family man and he had a large crew that worked for him, not just the actors, but quite a large crew. You know, twenty-five or thirty people, and they had all come with him from Bonanza. They had, they <laughs> liked him so much; they were so um, appreciative of the way he worked. You come in at six o'clock in the morning, makeup, hair, whatever the the crew is setting up the set, and you know you break for lunch, normal time. You get to go home at six o'clock because he was a family man and his crew had families. And, you know, I had worked on, oh gosh, uh, Bonanza, Gunsmoke, FBI, Medical Center, My Three Sons. You worked until 10, 11 o'clock and then you were expected to come in at six o'clock in the morning. It's exhausting. So he would shoot so that he would shoot just enough to cover a master, which was the, the scene, you know, from beginning to end. And then he when he he planned his close-ups so that we weren't sitting there all day long doing one scene. We covered a lot of territory in a day, so we got to go home at six o'clock. And of course, I got to go home earlier because I worked with the children who could only work four hours a day. So they <laughs> had to go to school. They had you know they were on the set going to school. Then they had to take so many breaks during the day. It was all according to what the Screen Actors Guild um, permitted.
4: Oh, wow. wow. but if, if you think about Twin Peaks and you think about Little House on the Prairie, which which of those shows did you enjoy working on the most? And like, what were the differences that you would oh see? Oh my Obviously, gosh, you know. what
3: a funny question! <laughs> um, well, Little House on the Prairie, I was on for four years. Um, it was comfortable. It was timely. Uh, they treated me very well. I made friends. Um, Twin Peaks. I had worked with David Lynch on his first film, Eraserhead, which won the L.A. Film Award when it was released. I had no I mean, it was the craziest film to shoot. And I did that before I did Little House on the Prairie. In fact, I went from Little House on the Prairie shoot to the Waltons working. David Lynch only worked after midnight. So I would work all night long with the David Lynch film. And then six in the morning, I was expected to be at Warner Brothers to be on the, the um, Walton set. And it was crazy for a while. But that was the kind of life that's what I, I did. I did whatever came up. And of course, I always did student films because how are they going to know how to direct actors if they don't work with professional actors? So my point was, you know, give them all the time I could. And then much later, of course, David Lynch became very popular. He went on to do a lot of films. And then he called me up one day and said, Char, you want to go to work? (laughs) And I said, what? (laughs) He said, yeah, I've got a series. It's called Twin Peaks. And I think you'd be good on it. So that's how I got Twin Peaks.
0: Charlotte, did you think that David was going to be that much of a talent? First meeting him, I guess, seeing his growth as, as a director and a creative?
3: I had no idea. I actually, to tell you the truth, I questioned whether he would, you know, make it in the business because he was so particular about what he shot. And the movie was kind of weird. You know, it was it was nothing I had ever done before. And his you know, the way he worked from midnight, to six in the morning was kind of crazy. Um, but I, I knew that from working with him, if you went to see the movie, you could not expect a linear plot you had to let the film wash over you. You had to experience it in a whole different way. And I think that's what surprised Hollywood so much when Eraserhead was released. They were shocked, you know, that somebody could make something so beautiful and so strange and kind of suck you into it. So I admired him for that, but I didn't get it right away. But as an actor, I always follow a director's instructions. And if he told me to get on the floor and reach under the bed and grab that suitcase four times, that's what I did.
4: (laughs) Very cool. But, you know, Charlotte, you've been on a a variety of movies and TV shows and so on. But what what do you feel was the biggest challenge that you faced in your career and how did you overcome it?
3: Oh boy. Um, Gosh, I don't even know how to answer that. I was so lucky. I did over fifty television shows before I got onto Little House on the Prairie, and then I did almost fifty more. So I just felt, first of all, I looked young for a really long time. So if if you needed a character that was that was supposed to be seventeen, but I was actually, you know, thirty, I could do the part. And I think that's what let me work so much. Uh, it was just you know luck of the draw, I think. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just think luck followed me around. I met the right people at the right time. I had never met Michael Landon before I auditioned for Little House on the Prairie. So I, I don't know. I think when I did the audition, I walked into the waiting room and there were all these women in prairie clothes. And I thought, and I was in jeans and a T-shirt, which is, I lived, I was a hippie. You know, it was, a, it was the 70s. And, and I, I didn't uh, even know what it was about. So when I walked in the room, there were all these men to, to do the audition and the producer sitting me on a great big desk. And he said, are you ready to audition? And I said, excuse me, but can I sit behind your desk? And he looked at me and he looked at Michael and he, he said, "Um, uh, sure. And he got up and he moved over to with all the other men and they started giggling literally if you know michael <laughs> Landon, he giggles and i slammed the desk and i said quiet oh oh my god the looks on their faces it was just amazing <laughs> and i read and before i got home that day i had the part <laughs>
4: oh, that's great
0: <laughs> uh, so it's it's like and, and you are able to do it and all this experiences, guest starring in different roles, things like that, do you feel, what do you think made you the ability to work on so many projects? Because a working actor, it's hard being a working actor. It's not the easiest thing in the world because you have to audition for each part. But we look at so many different parts you had. What do you think set yourself apart from other people that the directors and producers say, okay, we're going to hire Charlotte?
3: Gosh, I think my innocence you know, literally my innocence about the business. Um, I just went for each, every time my agent uh, called me, I was excited, but I just went in, I, you know, they would send me the script ahead of time, usually, not always, but um, I was enthusiastic. I was grateful. Uh, I loved it. I just loved it. And I didn't, I didn't, um, I, I don't think I was that good of an actor. I think I just, could look a lot of different ways. For instance, when I was doing a racer head, uh, as you recall, she was pretty uh, weird looking, you know. Uh, the, I did a special hairstyle that, that was, was kind of weird. And then I would shoot all night and then I would go to Warner Brothers and be on the Waltons where I played a prairie mother abandoning her child to the Waltons because she was deaf and I didn't understand. And then I would go back that night and shoot the wall, the, shoot eraser head. So I think I was versatile in a funny way. But I'll tell you the truth, I don't know. <laughs> I think I was just lucky. <laughs> and I oh. never said no. I don't care if it was a one-day part, a five-day part, or a three-year part. I never said no. I just did a one, you know, I just did it. So
4: That's great. I would say that maybe you got that from Jim Carrey's movie, you know, where he just said yes to everything, but that came out much <laughs> later, right? So.
3: Yeah, right, right.
4: <laughs> uh, Charlotte, um, you, we know the three shows that we've talked about, you know, The Waltons, Twin Peaks, Little House on the Prairie. C- could you just rattle off a few of the other TV shows that you had either a cameo in or a part mm-hmm. in? That
3: uh, just Medical Center, um, uh, then came Bronson. Oh, I started out on the Loretta Young show. When I was 19, that was my first job. And I ended up doing three of her shows, one with Loretta. Uh, I did, um, oh gosh, My Three Sons, Bachelor Father, um, Medical Center, Bonanza, Gunsmoke. Um, oh gosh, if you've got my resume there, you can tell. All the it, good ones. <laughs> it, goes three, it goes for three pages.
4: <laughs> That's amazing. But it's
3: You know, it's been since... Um, 1959 that I started working, and my my very first job was I was Alice in Wonderland at Disneyland, and that's when the park first opened. It had been open for two years, and I was a student at the Pasadena Playhouse, uh, and they came there looking for actors to play characters. So you know they signed you know about seven of us to drive to Anaheim every day and and play the characters. It was a ball and i met walt disney that was wow. an honor yeah. yeah he came he had an apartment over the firehouse and uh, we used to take our cigarette breaks <laughs> <laughs> behind the firehouse and walt drove with his limousine drove up one day and got out and we were all standing there in costume and he was so gracious he came over and you know introduced himself to each one of us so that that was quite something yeah
0: you know, I was thinking about this, the the types of shows you saw from the six from the fifties and I mean the sixties all the way to now, how things have changed in this business. And thinking about the shows and how the storylines were and how the sixties changed to the seventies and eighties and so on and so forth. What do you think continues to be the way the way to be a successful actor today? Even though the the lines have changed, the storylines have changed and everything.
3: Gosh, I don't know. I when when I decided to retire 17 years ago, I had just turned 65. I was working on a, a TV series in New York um, and I started forgetting my lines. Mm. And I came to the point where, I did not want to not only embarrass myself, but embarrass the film, you know, the producer, director, the star I was working with. And so I retired. So I, I haven't I haven't done anything, you know, in in I'm I'm eighty-two now. So I retired at sixty-five. I wish you could see my picture because it looked pretty darn good.
4: <laughs> I I saw you for a moment ago. I thought you were like thirty-five.
3: Oh yeah, right, right. It Started working in
0: 1958. <laughs> yeah, but you see, the knowledge you're able to bring to the table, especially when you see the industry changing, Charlotte. Because I know you watch streaming services and see how projects are, and how hardly any movies are in the theater anymore. Yeah. To all of that, and it's it's sad for the working actor in certain ways because they got because there's not as many of the big big opportunities, and a lot of people are looking for their break more than ever Charlotte yeah I'm kind of
3: out of it I'm kind of out of it my husband and I hardly ever watch um you know the tv shows that are on now we we watch CSI and all the old television show we binge watch shows and that's because they were good they were all good and so that's really at home that's what we do we binge watch old shows you know from 20 25 30 years ago and that's, that's what we enjoy. And I tell you, know, I, I miss being on a set. I miss meeting, you know, working with other actors. But there comes a time when you have to draw the line. And I did not want to embarrass myself or anybody else by not doing a proper job. Because I had a good career and, and worked steadily. And then when I realized that I couldn't do the job, I quit. And I'm not, hmm. I'm not sorry about that. I have a lovely life. I live in Napa, California. Uh, It's very beautiful here. I'm near my family. So uh, I retired to be near my family.
4: Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now, are you working on a book or you wrote a book or what's happening?
3: I wish your camera was on because, yes, I wrote a book called Little House in the Hollywood Hills. Do you have a a copy there?
4: I don't, but I would love one.
3: Oh, darn. I wish that the, oh, gosh, I wish I could put a picture on (laughs) it. That's okay. We're gonna
4: we're gonna put that in some of the photos for
0: the podcast. So don't worry. Okay.
3: Okay. It's called Little House in the Hollywood Hills: A Bad Girl's Guide to Becoming Miss Beetle, Mary X, and Me. And it's an adventure that I had. You know, I was raised on a farm. I had bad grades in high school. I couldn't go to college like all my friends. So I saw an advertisement on the back of Teen magazine. And it had a picture of Earl Holliman. And it talked about the Pasadena Playhouse, the State Theater of California. And I sent for an application. It came, I filled it out, I signed my mother's name and sent it in and I was accepted. Then I told my mother and she said, well, we'll see about this. And we drove to Pasadena. That was uh, in 1958. And she was impressed because it was, a, it was a seven story building in Pasadena. It had five theaters. The curriculum was that you worked every single day and every single night. You lived in a dormitory. And she saw that, that uh, my eyes lit up. I've, I, I had never thought about acting before, but this was my escape from my farm town. And uh, as it turned out, it was right. It was good for me, and I did very well, and I got my very first job, the Loretta Young Show, and um, <laughs> rest is history.
0: Fantastic. So Greg has a question he asked all the celebrities. Go ahead with your question, Greg.
4: Okay. Yeah, I sure do. So, Charlotte, this is for everyone who's listening and soon to be listening. Um, what's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned?
3: Be yourself enjoy your life be kind be kind to those around you just oh boy I wake up in the morning and I'm I'm just so grateful that I I have a wonderful husband I live in a wonderful town I'm near my family Uh, we've had just recently some deaths in the family but there's going to be a memorial I'm so glad that I'm close to my family um and that, that people still want to meet me. <laughs> like I say, I just got back from Missouri and, um, and Oklahoma and, and Wisconsin. And um, I greeted thousands of people there who just love Little House on the Prairie. And I was there with the Waltons as well. And people come in and, you know, they're small little towns. So our the promoter of these events is very smart. He goes to a small town where they don't have access to meeting celebrities or buying their picture or getting to have a conversation with them. He's so smart. So that's what I've been doing the last five or six years is traveling around America. I even went to France. I've been there twice because French love Little House on the Prairie. And um, it's just such a pleasure to meet fans who just, you know, they're, they're almost speechless because no one has ever come to their little town. You know, Marshfield, Missouri had 2,000 people show up.
0: Mm. You
3: know, we're just, we're we're still popular.
0: (laughs) Charlotte, you'll always be popular. And that's the bottom line of what the brand tells about. Like in professional wrestling, I was a former professional wrestler, Charlotte. When I wrestled in the minor leagues, I wrestled with guys like King Kong Bundy, the Bushwhackers. Um, oh my God. You know, I was on shows with Jimmy Superfly, Snooka, all of those guys when I was in the 90s where those little towns never get the chance to see the WWE. They never get to see WCW and to be up exactly. close with the star exactly. is the most powerful thing in the world or getting a chance to talk to a star is so powerful. Met, yeah, I just
3: met a woman um, her name is Ree Hammond. She's the pioneer woman that has a cooking show On television, she's popular all over, and we went to her town, and she has a a mercantile that practically takes over the entire town, and we were going there to invite her to our event in Oklahoma, and I walked in, and she looked up, and she said, Miss Beetle." Now, I had never met her before, but she was so thrilled to meet me, and you know, that's just... I was, I was, I was embarrassed and astonished, you know, that someone, she's very popular on television. She has a great cooking show that, uh, that's, you know, all over the world and how she would remember me was just, I was shocked, but she's going to join us for our, our event in Oklahoma. So, you know, I mean, that's just, I'm always surprised.
0: Where in Oklahoma are you going to be, Charlotte? I was, again, Gosh. in Oklahoma, which I never thought I would be, oh, uh, to I, an Airbnb. But where in Oklahoma are you going to be?
3: Hang on a second, and I'll tell you. I've got it right here.
0: Especially for our Texas fans here. Uh, where in Oklahoma? Because I've found out what Oklahoma looks like. i never been there, Greg. Oh, no.
3: it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, okay, I'm looking for – I've got the dinner Saturday – Oh, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear, I'm sorry, I'm just, oh gosh. Does your
0: website have all that updated,
3: Charlotte? I, it's going to be up. I just got home yesterday, so it will. I don't really have a website, but I'll put it on Facebook.
0: Okay, so where can um, people find it? Is Is it Facebook? Uh,
3: yes, I will put it on Facebook.
0: All right, so we definitely yeah. find. Well, Charlotte, it was, it was fabulous talking to you. And, oh, thank you. And the power you. of brand the power of a character that lives on forever, Mrs. Beadle, and that's Miss Beadle, is, is crazy. It's And again, Twin Peaks, same thing. These brands, these shows that we've watched our whole entire lives, that people have grown up with you, Charlotte, and they can continue to grow up with you by getting the chance to meet you at your events. Your events. You say you're retired. You're retired from acting, but you're not retired from being an entertainer. Because- I've
3: never been busier. Never been busier. And the,
0: the, you're an entertainer still. You can just <laughs> record something for two minutes on video, and you're doing as you're you're providing a service to people that's tremendous. So we appreciate you coming by.
3: Thank you so much, and I'm so sorry my video didn't work. Oh, well. that's okay. We're gonna I'm, work on it. We well, have we'll, another we'll, show we'll, we'll, tomorrow,
0: and we'll have a part two, part three, part four. That's the <laughs> thing about having your own show and getting those opportunities. So thanks again. Thanks, Thank Charlotte. Thank you very much. Be, both. be well. All right, take, take care, track. guys. All right, that was celebrity interviews live from the Broadway with Greg Hanna, take care. back to the neil haley show and also uh the love is celebrity podcast i'm excited to welcome from kim sorrell author of love is kim how are you and i know you're excited about your guest and our guest and i'm excited about the film because i'm a huge fan of george foreman i mean again he's a gentle giant like myself who's 6'10 kim so this is kind of like you know i'm a little taller than george but i, I always loved him as a boxer
5: yeah right what a classy guy right so uh with an interesting life so yes neil i'm doing great good to see you and i am very excited about our guest george tillman jr who is a wave maker a groundbreaker. i am so impressed george with your resume the things that you have done you have uh done some things to really pave the way for some incredible films Uh, that are um, wonderful for the black community, even though I hate to say they're films for the black community, but some of the films you've done, certainly that's the you've drawn so much traffic from that, but I feel like we're turning a corner and things are becoming more for everybody. And you've done just some incredible things. This George Foreman, obviously, I mean, everybody's interested in George Foreman and his career and that had to be an experience, but I'm so curious about you because here you are, this Chicago guy. I'm from Michigan, Midwestern, and uh, won some awards. You've just, you've just done it. I'm just so impressed with everything that you've done, uh, the stories that you've portrayed. You know, just talking about real people and real lives, and and making people feel like they're part of the story. So welcome, welcome, welcome to our show.
6: Thank you, thank you for having, having me. I appreciate it, I'm glad to be here.
5: Yeah, so this, what it, what's what been big for you? Like, I'm just curious, I mean, it, just because you've done so much and so much good and uh, tearing down walls and the first of this and the first of that, which should have happened years ago, but you made it happen. And uh, what's what do you consider your biggest achievement? Like, what's made you just pursue, pursue, pursue?
6: Well, you know, just from watching other, you know, like you were saying, I love telling stories that can really help entertain first, but then help other people. Like I remember when I was a kid, I saw Barry Levinson film Avalon and Avalon was about his family as immigrants moving to America. I was so blown away, even though that family was about. Jewish immigrants, and I just felt like it was very inspiring for me to tell my story with Soul Food about my family after Sunday dinners, after coming from church, my grandmother doing all the cooking, and even though it was African-American characters, it was fun and it was for everybody. So that's what I always wanted to do, with tell stories uh, that can move people, get people to change their life and get people to think. So that keeps me going every movie, you know what I mean? So that's how I've been feeling as a director.
0: And what do you think, as a director, kind of putting your whole vision into it, specifically enough of some of the films you've done, TV shows you've done to kind of put your stamp on it as a director? Because that's the thing that people don't understand is a director takes the writer, producer, everybody put this together and make it a vision, your vision, when it finally goes on on film or on TV, right?
6: Yeah, I think the key is, the stamp is, what are you trying to say? You know, like the film I did years ago with Robert De Niro, Cuba Gooding Jr., Men of Honor. That was about the first African-American Navy diver. And that whole thing is about, you know, never giving up and really choosing that. And that's what's sitting down with the individual and putting in, what is the theme that people can walk away? So with George Foreman, the new movie, I was sat down with George and I was like, wow, change is it's a powerful thing for him. So that was the stamp that I was able to put on this film. Mm -hmm.
5: Yes, and I am so excited. It's coming out very soon. I am sure that it's gonna do great. You've got some wonderful cast going and it is just an incredible story. This man that was an angry guy, right? I mean, he was a pretty angry guy which maybe as a boxer you need to be, I don't know. But uh, he, changed his life just changed completely it seems like that would be a difficult thing to really grab hold of in just a couple hours on film what what was that like
6: that was amazing because it was true. When I was a kid, I was rooting for Ali in the Foreman versus Ali. I wanted Ali to beat the big bad George Foreman. And then, like years later, after college, I'm rooting for him to fight Michael Moore. I was yeah. like, he's a nice guy. Is this the same guy who created the grill? You know. And then when I when I sat down with him, it's just that that experience in Puerto Rico that we have in the movie when he fought. Uh, Jimmy Young, he, he, he people say he had heat stroke. George said it was more, I died and I came back. I saw something different that completely changed my life. And that experience was the one thing he said, you gotta get right in the movie. That was the most important thing that he wanted to make sure was right. And from there he started believing in other things other than himself, he became selfish to selfless. So I love that importance of how to change that really make me look at myself But at the same time, I had a great time as a director, had all these great fights with Ali. I mean, George did some crazy things where he fought five guys in one ring to prove I'm just as bad as Ali. Those are some interesting things about the journey in life, you know.
0: And I think he saw specifically enough when he made that change, how Ali loved people. And he had to do the same in a way, but in in a different transformation. George Foreman's way different than Ali in so many ways. What did George tell you about his like what he thought about Lee and also specifically enough did he take any of his charisma later on and
6: and kind of not copy it but emulate some of it I think what was going on was he felt like during the fight he I said were you afraid of Ali? He says, no, I wasn't afraid of Ali. I was afraid of Joe Frazier. And I said, really? But you're not Joe Frazier out six times. He said, but that was the problem I was afraid of. him. I wasn't afraid of Ali. I really believe that I can get him with one punch. And he just kept going on and on and on. I couldn't believe he was still around in the eighth round. And he said one of the things that he learned, and I have it in the movie, is, is, is a moment right before the fight, George is putting his hand on a roach, And he looks underneath his arms to look at Ali. And Ali is praying. You know, he's being spiritual, and I think the spirituality is what really woke him up and really saw to get him something to have a pattern in his life, you know, and I think that's something that uh, we all need sort of in our own lives, just to believe, to help, to think better, and I think that's what made him more lovable. A different spirit was just there.
5: I I love that. I love that, and I I totally agree. It's uh, a whole different life when you are interested when you're open, when you're seeking, when you know that there's more to life. And early on in this interview, you mentioned the dinners, Sunday dinners after church and and the things of that your family did. And so uh faith is is a thing apparently in your family's life and something that you grew up with, and then something that's been such a big part of George's life. So how did you how did you relate to all that?
6: I was able to relate when I really sat down and I really started breaking down the movie into the physicality in terms of why things happened. I really wasn't able to figure out and it all came down to one thing. If you really look back when George Foreman fought Ali in 1974, at that point, Ali already lost to Frazier. He already was slower. He was a different fighter. And George is 25, 24, 25 at the time, strong, young, knocked everybody out. Why would Ali was able to do that, a belief. And then at 46, George was able to do the thing. You know, and a kid coming from the fifth ward with nothing. His whole family had to eat one burger. They had to share their food. And the teacher wouldn't even look at him because of how he was dressed. And then later, this guy would be the heavyweight champion and a grill guy who's successful. Faith, belief in something. Um, And I have to remind that of myself. Every time I do a movie, I'm like, oh, wow, can I get through this? You know, this movie is so hard. Just keep believing, keep pushing. So that was the thing that came down to one single thing, as you just talked about, Kim. You just have to believe and put it into something else that can make you get through this and win. Totally.
0: Now, Kim has a question she asked all our celebrity guests about love. She wrote a book about love. Go ahead, Kim.
5: Yeah. So, um, Georgia, I was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago. And then four months later, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died six weeks after that. And it made me question some things. And the real meaning of love was one of them. That seems to be this, you know, I don't know. I think you put 10 people in a room, you can get to 10 different answers to what love is. And so I, I lived it out and wrote a book about it. Love is, and so love is, is huge. Love's universal and love's involved in everything. And I, I, I know it's got to be a big part of your life because uh, your passion has got to come from love, right? Am I right about that? Like, what, what is love to you?
6: Love is, to me, and it's something that, you know, I've been thinking about for the last 12 months, you know, because when you make a movie, it takes a lot of people around you. You can't do it by yourself. And love is continuing to open yourself up to other people's flaws Other people's successes, other people's happiness, other people's sadness. And it's a continuing thing. To learn how to forgive is a continuing thing as well. And that's something I've been learning is not let things drag me down. Just happy. Be happy. I have to remind myself, be happy where you are. I always look at another director and I say, I want to be better. I want to be like him. It's just like, just be happy what life has provided. Enjoy each day as it comes. It's just hard. Love is... Taking each day and making the best out of it and making everybody and yourself happy around it. That's how I'm learning every day, you know?